The NBA free agency period begins today at 6 p.m. There's already been some wheeling and dealing as the Spurs trade DeJounte Murray to Atlanta, plus the opt-ins or opt-outs with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, etc. Baseball's approaching the halfway point of the season and the Mets are starting to feel the heat in the NL East, and I'm not too happy about yesterday's result. The end of Serena Williams, same for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, setting up your holiday weekend with plenty of fireworks, brew, and barbecue for the sports fan. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's the final day of the first half of 2022. The Midsummer Fourth of July weekend is upon us, and so is the latest episode delivering all that's going on in the world of sports. Glad you stopped by to get your fix as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. My first timers, welcome aboard. Thanks for stopping by. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. As we get set to turn the calendar to July, and as we all know, if you listen to the podcast on Monday, we're already into that Sports Dead Zone Part 2, but there's still a lot that's cooking on the grill, as I'll have the latest with Baker Mayfield and how he came out earlier this week saying that it's time for him to move on, and the Browns have been sitting on their hands And I get it as an insurance policy for Deshaun Watson, who's looking at, you would think, a year suspension based on all of what's gone on with him over the last, I don't know, 14, 16 months. You'll get my two cents on that, as well as Wimbledon. Is this the end of Serena Williams as we know it? I'll also have a thought or two on her and her career as Wimbledon continues into the weekend. And obviously, next week, we'll crown a champion. I'll get into everything that's happening in baseball, including a bad Met loss yesterday, which has me, even 24 hours later, a little sick. And you got to wonder, they're starting to feel the heat in the NL East, and they still don't meet the Braves until another 10 days. So put that on your calendar, people. Lots to get into there, and including a big series tonight in LA between San Diego and LA, which we'll get into. 
So much to discuss. And even though baseball is the only sport standing, 6 o'clock tonight is the free agency period in the NBA. And I'm going to start there because there's been some activity, more so with the opt-ins and opt-outs. And you did have a big trade, which I'll break down. But as far as what's happening here, and you're going to have a couple of free agents right off the bat, Bradley Beal, number one in particular, because he has opted out of his deal last year in Washington so he could either get the five-year mega extension with the Wizards or go elsewhere to get the four-year deal for a little bit less. You wonder. Ten years he's been with the Wizards. You would think he wants to probably spread his wings, branch out, try to latch onto a team that has a chance to have a deep playoff run or even make it to an NBA final. Right now, it's still early to tell whether or not he's going to either go to a contending team or if a team that has enough money under the cap Are they going to be willing to bring him in? Whether you're, let's say, even the Miami Heat, which they would have to finagle. And I'm just throwing that team out. I haven't heard anything. I don't have any intel as far as Bradley Beal goes. But he would be a great fit there because they need a shooter in the worst way. Yes, you could look at Tyler Hero. He's a sixth man. But if you had a sharpshooting presence from the arc and beyond and knowing that Beal has made a living shooting threes, even coming out of Florida, pretty much being that guy who could stretch a defense, and at the same time, bomb from three-point land. He would be a very good fit, if you ask me, if the Heat were looking to go back to a final that we saw a couple years ago and were that close for making it this year without having that wing player, that perimeter player, who could certainly change the outlook of a game. As far as some of the other players, whether you're James Harden, he also opted out, but a lot of talk with him maybe staying in Philadelphia and the reason maybe that between he and Daryl Morey, we know the relationship that they've had going back to their days in Houston and for Harden to give the Sixers a little bit more flexibility when it comes to free agency, knowing that they're going to need another piece or two. It's not just Harden himself. We understand that they have Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Teibel, of course, Tobias Harris, that's there to go along with Joel Embiid. But with the Sixers, if they're able to provide that flexibility where they have a $10.5 million exception and maybe Harden does take a sweetheart deal. I'm not going to say a discount deal because you know this is going to be his last mega contract for his career. At 32 years of age, we've seen the decline a little bit here in the last year and a half, especially when he was traded to Brooklyn. And I'm sure once he signs on the dotted line, whether it's in Philadelphia or elsewhere, he knows that this is going to be it as far as him making big bucks in playing for his last big NBA contract. So the Sixers, they have a lot of maneuverability at this very moment, knowing that they could still bring in Harden, have this exception, maybe bring in that veteran presence, whether it's a guy like P.J. Tucker, where if you read the tea leaves and if you've kind of kept your ear to the NBA pulse, that's the latest word that's coming out as far as bringing in that type of guy who brings leadership, who brings defense, tenacity, etc. You've seen how P.J. Tucker has played in the postseason these last two years with Milwaukee in their championship year last year and then this past season with the Miami Heat. Then you have the players that have opted in, whether you're Russell Westbrook, no shock there, $47.5 million. If he was going to even think about testing the free agent waters, he would have gotten nothing close to what he's going to make, at least in this upcoming season. And then you have Kyrie Irving where on Monday 
or I believe it was Tuesday, he announced that he was going to opt in his final year with Brooklyn, $36.5 million, or I think 36.9 exactly. A little bit of a surprise because with Kyrie, he's so unpredictable. And with all the rumors last week about having his teams listed to where he would want to play in his next destination, if that would be the case, whether it was both LA teams, the Knicks, Miami, Dallas, those are the ones that come off the top of my head. And with the Lakers being the only team that were willing to be a participant in making a trade and knowing that Russell Westbrook had to come back, you knew the Nets were saying, "Uh uh-uh, you could keep him there. We'd rather stick with Kyrie for one more year than to have Westbrook be on the team. And of course, to have him reunited with Kevin Durant, (laughs) you knew that that was going to be a match made in hell. So with Kyrie staying... And that's going to be the big focal point here over the course of the summer. Not even just this next week or so. Because you got to wonder. The camp of Kevin Durant has been relatively quiet. Although there had been some rumblings on whether or not Kyrie staying or going was going to be a key contributor as to what his future would be in Brooklyn. And mind you, he signed a four-year max without an opt-out. So it's not as if he signed a four-year deal where after the second year he can opt out or a three-year deal. We know how these player options work, especially in the NBA. And was he thinking about looking for the exit if Kyrie was to break out of town or there would have to be a sign-and-trade deal? You don't have to worry about that now. But what does this mean for the relationship between the front office of the Nets, Sean Marks, the GM, president, as well as Joseph Sy, the coach, Have they sat down with Kyrie? Have they said to him, listen, play this year. We'll see how it transpires. We need for you to commit to as many games possible, barring injury, of course. And then we'll see where the chips fall after the season. Hopefully, it will culminate in an NBA championship. But Kyrie, you would think at this stage of his career, granted, he just turned 30 years old and he still has plenty of basketball in front of him. But knowing that he has... 11 years of mileage on his body and especially his knees as we know he's had to have surgery on those knees a couple of times and even though he's been relatively healthy but you had to wonder about his psyche and if the Nets were smart and you would think they are that they would have had this discussion with Kyrie already to say are we all in are we halfway in do you want to be traded whatever it may be and as we know Kyrie going back to when he was a boy how he followed the Brooklyn Nets, or at that time it was the Jersey Nets, of course. Jason Kidd, his run and tenure as a member of that squad that went to -to back-to-back NBA Finals in the early 2000s when they played against the Lakers and then the Spurs. It actually wasn't back-to-back. It was 2000... No, it was back-to-back. 2002 and then the 2003 season where the Nets had back-to-back Finals runs, of course, ending in losses. But Kyrie, you would think right now he's ready to be all in, get himself right. We know it's going to be a long summer, a lot of training, a lot of time between now and the start of training camp. So at the very moment, all looks like is wonderful across the Brooklyn Bridge. But as we all know, from one second to the next, you're going to have to keep your eyes and ears on the pavement because all it takes is for a disagreement, All it takes for maybe even some disconnect, whether it's with other players, whether it's with somebody else in the front office, maybe even with Steve Nash, the coach. As I said, Kyrie is unpredictable here. But I'm sure he knows 
that he has to be on his best behavior. He's going to have to not only be all in, but he's going to have to be available pretty much all season, provided that he's going to be healthy. So that's what we have there with Kyrie. Other than that, John Wall, who got a buyout from the Rockets, will be joining the Clippers as reported. And Wall, we know his injury history. When he's healthy, he's a dynamic player. But over the last few years, whether it's an Achilles, whether it's knee troubles, and you don't know what you're going to get from John Wall, knowing that he's also, I believe, 30 years of age and mileage on his body and these recent injuries, including an Achilles, which, as we all know, is going to be, I'm not going to say difficult, but just ask Kevin Durant what the process is as far as getting back to game speed, having the psyche to know that you're going to have to cut, run up and down the court. And we all know Wall's game is breaking down his defender, is attacking the basket. And if Wall can't be his explosive self prior to this injury, can he still be an effective NBA player, especially on a team that's going to have Paul George and you would think a 100% healthy Kawhi Leonard as they try to make a push to their first NBA final. So I think Wall could be a good fit. But he has to be maybe not 100% to what he was prior to the injury, but he's going to have to be damn close. Because anything less than that, if he's going to be relegated to a jump shooter, and yes, everybody's going to have their day when it comes to making threes or attempting mid-range jump shots, but Wall's strength is not in his shooting. So that's something you have to keep an eye on. But the big deal that has taken place here over the course of the last... 24 hours is the San Antonio Spurs and DeJounte Murray. There were rumors about him going to a couple of other places, but he lands in Atlanta where the Hawks were able to trade Danilo Gallinari and three future first round picks. I believe 23, which would be obviously next year, 25 and 27, where 25 and 27 are unprotected pick swaps in 24 and 26. And the Spurs are looking to rebuild for the future. And why not? We don't know how much longer Greg Popovich is going to be a part of this Spurs organization. We already know that the heyday and the, if you want to call it the dynasty, that 20-year stretch of success in San Antonio now is in the rearview mirror. There are no Tim Duncans, Manu Ginobili's, or Tony Parker's walking through that door. So now you could automatically sense that the rebuild is going to be in full effect And who Greg Popovich hands over the keys to, or who knows, maybe he wants to continue to be part of this process. I know he's in his early 70s, and he's had a Hall of Fame career, but considering that this trade has been made, and the Spurs are now looking to the future, you'd have to ask yourself, how much longer is Greg Popovich going to be the head coach of this Spurs franchise, the only coach that this franchise has known here in the 21st century? As far as the Hawks, This was a big move here and a move that they had to do. Murray will now be your two guard. I understand he'll probably also handle the ball at times. Trey Young is going to be your guy that is, I would think, also handle the ball. Kind of like a Chris Ball, James Harden, Houston Rockets from a few years back. Maybe that type of offense that they'll employ down in Atlanta. But he gives you another threat. He's a guy that will also make their backcourt formidable. We know Trey Young is short when it comes to not his height, but as far as his defensive deficiencies and having Murray back there will be a significant help. 
and the Hawks, who are trying to reclaim a little bit of that glory that they had two years ago when they made it to an Eastern Conference final, took a step in trying to do so in the competitive Eastern Conference where you know Brooklyn's going to try to bounce back as much as they can. We know about the Bucks, the Celtics. You would think the Sixers, who knows how the James Harden situation is going to play out. And maybe even Chicago, who knows what's going to happen with Zach Levine. Obviously, they're a team that may be laying in the weeds. But you're going to have an ultra uber competitive Eastern Conference next year and the Hawks know better to bring in a guy where you're going to invest in draft picks in the future and is Murray going to be that guy that's going to take you to that next level? He certainly helps but we don't know if he's going to be that guy. How I look at him, he's more of a 1A, maybe even 1B. Definitely a number 2 But Trey Young, and for all his brilliance, but we saw how the Miami Heat handled him in that series in the opening round last year. He's not a guy that's going to... Yes, we know Trey Young is an excellent offensive player. We know that he's able to get his shot wherever on the court. But because of his size and because he's not built to outlast a physical team like the Heat or even the Celtics for that matter... We know that they had to bring in somebody else and if Murray was going to be the guy, then he is an upgrade. But is he that guy that's going to take you to that next level? Remains to be seen. We certainly didn't see it in San Antonio and rightfully so because they didn't have the type of roster that was going to make it into a postseason and win a round or two where we were able to see the exploits of DeJounte Murray. Now it looks like we're going to have the opportunity to see so in this upcoming year. And then lastly, you have the scenario with the Knicks with Jalen Brunson. I know I made a bit of a mention on this, just a bit. If you listen to the podcast on Monday, if you're a Knicks fan, you definitely have to peep that because I went in on their front office. And Brunson, again, nice player. We know that they brought in his father, Rick Brunson, who was a longtime NBA player on a bunch of different teams as an assistant coach. But Brunson is not, again, similar to DeJounte Murray. And Murray... I would think as of right now, if you're going to pick either one of these two guys on your team, you would probably pick Murray. And I understand he had a torn ACL a few years back, but you may inch closer to Murray than you would Brunson as far as upside goes. But still, Brunson is not a guy that is going to take you to the next level or even take you over the top. And granted that the Knicks have a lot of teams that they're going to have to compete with, as I've just mentioned, the Knicks still have work to do. And unless they have something up their sleeve, they have a ton of first-round picks that they were able to procure here just last week, and they also traded a couple of other players in Alec Burks, and the other player slips my mind off the top of my head at the moment. So they do have flexibility. They are able to sign some guys. Who knows if they're going to bring in a Bradley Beal, which I think they desperately need. Of course, they need a point guard. But as we all know, even with Barrett, And with Beal, they pretty much play the same position, but they need a shooter in the worst way. Julius Randle isn't the answer. And even Beal, for that matter, for all that he's worth and how great he's been in the NBA, to me, if he were to be on the Knicks, he's still not going to be the guy that's going to take you there because I still think you need a superstar player, and Beal is not that. Beal is a star player and an all-star, but he's not a first-team, second-team, all-NBA player. He has shown flashes of that, but to me, he's still not that guy, especially for the Knicks. 
So let's see what they do here as we're just a few hours away from the start of free agency and how this all will unfold. In other news, the Utah Jazz hired Will Hardy, he of the Boston Celtics who was an assistant, and with Danny Ainge and obviously his connection with the Celtics in the past, and I'm sure he was a guy that probably groomed Hardy to become a coach in this league. Well, the Jazz have found their man, the youngest coach in the NBA right now at the age of 34, as he will take over the helm for a Jazz team that right now is in flux. Rudy Gobert is a guy that could be on the trading block. The Jazz, who have had some success in the regular season over the last few years, but have not been able to parlay that to postseason success. You wonder with a young guy coming in there, does it mean that they're going to try to upend? Well, that may be a little bit too strong, but they're going to shake up the roster a little bit to see what they could do to kind of infuse some younger talent and maybe Trey Gobert for either future first-round picks or someone of considerable talent to go along with Donovan Mitchell and even Joe Ingles, a guy who was injured and was sorely missed last year on the Jazz team. We shall wait and see because the Jazz, they've always been that middling team or the team that's overachieved, but they have never been able to get themselves in a position to where they're going to either make a finals run or get to a conference final. And with Will Hardy there, who knows what he'll be able to do based on what the Jazz do here in this offseason when it comes to personnel. So that's what we have with the NBA as the focal point here over the course of the next couple of days. I know it's a holiday weekend on the horizon and usually a lot of the news doesn't really percolate over the weekend. But with the NBA, we all know that there's going to be some player movement, there's going to be some players that are going to find new addresses, and obviously, come Monday, I'm sure we're going to have quite a bit to talk about when it comes to transactions in the association. All right, now I'll turn my attention to baseball. We got a few things cooking there. And first off, I want to discuss about my Mets. And I know people are going to say, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels, he's going to be on a soapbox, and relax, your team is still in first place, and yes, your lead is now three games, and all that, and I'm not even going to complain about where the Mets stand at this moment. Now, DeGrom and Scherzer both had rehab starts that was supposed to take place yesterday, and in fact, Scherzer's start was supposed to be Thursday, but they delayed it a day. I don't know what the results were of Scherzer's start yesterday. Same for Jacob DeGrom, but the Series against the Astros where the Mets got swept and I'm going to say embarrassed. I understand yesterday's game was decided in the ninth inning but the Mets did not have a lead at all in any of the games against the Astros. So obviously that's embarrassing to say the least but to put the cherry on top and I'm still unsettled about it was at no score in the ninth inning and I know Buck Showalter brought in Diaz to face the heart of the order there, which was smart. And we saw Showalter do that in LA, if you remember, on that Sunday afternoon game where Diaz faced the heart of the order in the eighth inning, was able to get it out, get him out. And then we had to sweat with Seth Lugo in the ninth inning before Adonis Garcia, excuse me, Adonis Medina was able to save the day and salvage a split between the Dodgers and Mets that weekend a few weeks back. So we had a scenario where Drew Smith came. Tie game, ninth inning, with two outs and a runner on. 
He gives up a two-run homer to Jason Castro, the backup catcher of the Astros. And you might as well say that Martin Maldonado is Johnny Bench compared to Jason Castro. And that's not saying a lot because Maldonado's stats, I believe he's under the Mendoza line. All right, he has five home runs, 16 RBIs, but he's not going to be confused with Yogi Berra or Mike Piazza. But here's Jason Castro, who is batting 095 coming into the game. Had no home runs and one RBI. And what happened? He takes Drew Smith over the right field fence and the Mets lose 2-0. They weren't able to get a win, let alone a lead against the Astros. And the Astros had a very successful run against the New York teams in which that will conclude tonight where the Yankees will play in Houston one game as a makeup due to the lost week, the opening week of the season because of the lockout. So the Astros could actually go 7-2 and two with a win tonight in Houston against New York dating back to last Tuesday. But as far as Astro-Mets, 4-0, not a lead. And to lose in that fashion was just utterly, not only disgusting, but embarrassing. And now they have a day off before the Texas Rangers come to town. And the Rangers, a couple of games on the 500, they've underachieved this year, especially with their off-season imports of Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. So hopefully they'll be able to beat up on the Rangers before we get into the 4th of July on Monday while the Atlanta Braves continue to mash as they have done so in Philadelphia here over the last couple of days. They are now just three games behind the Mets and I believe the Met high water mark was 10 and a half games dating back to the middle of May. So now on the horizon... A week from this coming Monday, the Mets and the Braves will duke it out for 15 games. Not in a row, of course, but 15 games over the summer. And that is going to be some hotly contested baseball. Now, we still have a few more podcasts to chew on before we get to that point. But if you're a Mets fan right now, you have to be just a tad nervous because we had a big lead. We were able to take control of the division and you knew the Braves were going to come around. Not to the point that they were going to win 14 straight as they did to get themselves back in the NL East. But now that they're just three games behind and nipping at our heels, psychologically, for a team, I understand, new manager, different cast of characters. It's not as if you've had the same team over the last few years. Yes, We know the familiar faces that have been here throughout these tough stretches, whether you're Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil. I get it. But the makeup is a little bit different on this team. And I understand people are going to say, well, once you get DeGrom and Scherzer back, all will be right in Metland. Can't say that just yet because DeGrom, he is a gigantic question mark. And Scherzer, you're going to have to proceed with caution. So as much as the Mets have tread water here and have done a very good job without their two stud starting pitchers, you still have to be just a little concerned on how the rest of this summer is going to play out. Are they going to make the playoffs? You would think they would, considering the haves and the have-nots in the National League are stark. But it's just a matter of, are you going to be one of the top two seeds and get a bye? Or you're going to have to host in a wild card round whether you're the three seed or four seed and then have to start your division series a week after but then have to, of course, roll the dice on a three-game series where you may host, as of right now, 
Well, of course, as of right now, they're going to have a top two seed. But what I'm saying is if Atlanta does win a division and the Mets happen to fall three or four, they will host that wild card round. And then you have to take your chances from there. I understand a ton of baseball to be played. I understand that that is for far down the road. But it's something we have to pay attention to because the lead is slipping. A lot of matchups are in store against the Braves. And even though the Braves go to Cincinnati, so that should be a cakewalk in the Queen City where the Mets again have the Rangers. Let's see how it fares over the weekend until we get to Monday on the next podcast as to where these two teams stand in the National League East. And speaking of the Braves, interesting news that come out regarding Freddie Freeman and we talked a little bit about the Love Fest on Monday which was understandable and rightfully so. I get it could have been a little bit too much with the tears and the ovations and I didn't see the game Sunday night but then after the recording I did notice that he had a standing ovation in the 8th inning in the Sunday night game which again, we know he was the prodigal son in Atlanta, the face of the franchise. I'm sure Freeman did not want to leave but now we've come to learn that his representatives at XL Sports Management, led by Casey Close, who was Derek Jeter's old agent, pretty much put the squeeze on the Atlanta Braves with a deal that they had to counter within a 60-minute time frame on whether or not the Braves were going to match what the Dodgers were going to offer. And in fact, I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of $140 million. So even though the Braves had offered, I believe, a six-year deal worth $135 million. Close and company said, all right, how about 140 and you got an hour to give us an answer? To where the Braves took a step back and said, I'm not going to do that, or we're not going to do that. And therefore, the deal with LA was coming up the pike to where we find out that the six-year, $168 million deal that Freeman signed with the Dodgers, I believe, and I'll double-check that, of that, if you could even believe, $57 million of that is deferred. And it's the LA Dodgers. You know, this isn't the Washington Nationals that were looking to defer a lot of that money to Bryce Harper when they were going to offer him that, I believe it was at the time, 10 years, $300 million contract. And in looking at it here, to confirm, $57 million was going to be in deferred salary. What is it? Now the LA Dodgers are looking under their sofa cushions for change just so they could pay off Freddie Freeman somewhere in the year 2045. So Freeman then acted to where he fired Casey Close and whomever else represents him at XL Sports or Management Sports. And for him to do that after the fact and for all this to come out, Just goes to show you that Alex Anthopoulos, good for him. He went the high road where he was in tears knowing that he couldn't sign Freddie Freeman and obviously did not relinquish that, well, his agent gave us pretty much an ultimatum that we had to decide on within an hour. So he kept that close to the vest. But Freeman, obviously with his displeasure and knowing that this was the process to where although he got his deal with the Dodgers going back home, But knowing that his representatives did not go to him to say, hey, listen, Freddie, we only have an hour to work with them. And Freddie, at that point, would have said, no, I'll take the $140 million just to stay in Atlanta. Now, granted, that would have been the discount deal of a lifetime. But I'm sure coming off of a World Series, knowing that's the organization he grew up in, 
And he's already made plenty of money in his career. It's not as if he's crying broke heading into this free agency off year. And I get it that you want to make as much money as you possibly can because a Major League Baseball career is fleeting. But I'm sure he would have taken the 6 for 140 just to stay home in Atlanta and not go to LA knowing what he knows now that his agents pulled a fast one on him. And that's bad business if you're Casey Close. And that's why sometimes these agents, they get in the way truly in the minds and the hearts of some of these players where I get it. They want every last dime because their commission depends on that. But are they really looking out for the interest in the player? Here's an example of what not to do if you're a player and have a relationship with an agent to where your body, your physical being is in one place, but your emotional, spiritual, and mental is in another place. And you saw that throughout the whole weekend in Atlanta based on Freeman's emotions, his reactions to the applause, everything. So I just thought to throw that in there because obviously this came out in the last couple of days and even though I made a mention of it Monday but now we really get to see why Freeman is in LA and not in Atlanta based on the way his agent and representatives handled this negotiation. I know you had a major suspension in baseball with the Seattle Mariners and the Anaheim Angels. I know I didn't discuss that on Monday but now that we've gotten a full view, clear cut, suspensions that have been handed down because of that where Phil Nevin got 10 games and Jesse Winker who got hit in the backside got seven games even got punched by Anthony Rendon who is out for the year with a wrist injury as he had surgery on that but that was just an ugly scene there in LA I believe it happened from the night before how this whole thing got started where Mike Trout was brushed back up and in and that obviously didn't go well with the Manager Phil Nevin, who got 10 games, as I mentioned. So where the next day in the first inning, they threw high and tight on prize rookie of Seattle, Julio Rodriguez. And then in the next inning, that's where Winker got hit and all hell ensued. You even had a melee to the point where Archie Bradley, the reliever, broke his elbow. So he's on the shelf. Just a big giant mess. And even for comedic purposes, you had a fan deliver a pizza to Jesse Winkler to where... The delivery guy was tipped generously and Winker did answer back on Twitter because there was an exchange between this fan who delivered a pizza and applauded Winker for what he did. And then the delivery person was able to not only get a generous tip out of it, but there were a lot of people. It was a groundswell to where a bunch of people Venmoed the delivery driver, put his information out there. And I believe he just recently had a baby and a wife and or girlfriend, and it was generous for so many people to rally around this scenario to where they tipped this driver. So that was a feel-good story that at least came out of that, but with the suspensions that were handed out, 12 players and coaches in total, but the most being the manager of the Angels as well as Winker for reacting and, of course, going toward the bench to where he faced Rendon, and then obviously the brouhaha unfolded So that's what you have there between Seattle and LA. And then as far as what's happening in the sport over the weekend, you have a series concluding in Cleveland. Four games set to where Cleveland's won the first two against Minnesota. And of course, they faced each other last week. The Twins now have a two-game lead over the Indians, so they get inch a little bit closer with a win today. 
You also have a four-game set starting tonight at Chavez Ravine between the Padres and Dodgers. And you have Fernando Tatis, who is on the mend, two weeks away from swinging a bat. He has that shoulder issue that has been hampering him all year long. We haven't even seen him on a baseball diamond so far this year. So he's feeling pretty good and psychologically ready. Now it's just a matter of him swinging a bat, and you probably won't see him until after the All-Star break, considering the All-Star break is what? I believe the... 18th, 19th, I think is the game. It's actually late this year. So we will keep our eyes on that, but that's a big series because the Dodgers and Padres are separated by two games themselves in the NL West. Actually, three in the loss, a game and a half behind. So let's see what happens between those two teams over the weekend. We'll keep a close eye on that. Otherwise, I mentioned Yankees-Astros tonight as they renew just for one night before the Yankees go to Cleveland as I mentioned earlier, it's a makeup deal from the lockout because the Yankees and Astros were to play in that opening week between March 31st and April 7th. So they'll make up the other two games somewhere down the road. And that's what you pretty much have in baseball at the moment. Nothing else, pretty much everything else status quo when it comes to divisions and just the pennant races, which I'll get more into as we get closer to the All-Star break. But a lot of these teams... As we head into the 4th of July weekend and by the time we reconvene on Monday, some teams will actually be close to the 81 game mark. Some, I don't think will even surpass it. Let me take a quick look here. For instance, the Mets have played 76 games. So even after the weekend, they'll be at 79. I don't think any team, actually the Cardinals have played 78. So they will be at 81 come Monday. And the Cardinals go to Philadelphia this weekend. So you'll have a couple of teams that'll be at 81. Most of them will be below that. So that's a good barometer. We'll even take a look at my over-under numbers at that time for some goofs and laughs as now baseball will be the focal point as the only sport standing. Yes, we have Wimbledon, which we'll discuss in a minute, and we have a big golf tournament next month. But we know out of the four majors, baseball is the only one that will really zero in on and pretty much keep a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month as we get deeper into the summer before the college football and football seasons begin. All right, I'll come at you with a few quickies here before we bid adieu. I'll start off with the tennis. Men's side, it's been pretty quiet. You haven't had any upsets. We know that the cast of characters, I know Carlos Alcaraz had a five-setter in his opening match, but the Nadals of the world, the Djokovic of the world, the... Stefano Tsitsipas, guys like that we know that are in good standing. We'll see what happens as we get into the weekend and obviously when we reconnect there on Monday. Women's side, a little bit different. Highlighted by Serena Williams who had graced the All England Club and center court for the first time in a year. And what you saw there against Harmony Tan on Tuesday was an epic match. I believe it was what, about three hours? Maybe a slightly smidge over three hours. And... When you're 40 years old, and I understand she's been nursing some injuries, she hasn't been in competition going back, as I said, over a year, and you got to wonder, what's left in the tank for Serena Williams as far as her not only just playing, period, but even maybe the U.S. Open, which is the next major tournament here in late August, Flushing Meadow, pretty much a stone's throw from where I'm at. Now, I'm not going to make a prediction. Obviously, I have no intel when it comes to 
what's going on in the career of Serena Williams. But you would have to think that with the U.S. Open a couple of months from now and knowing that I'm sure she's starting to transition, maybe even psychologically. I'm sure mentally, maybe even spiritually, knowing that she still has a little bit of fire inside to compete. We know how fierce of a competitor that she is. But you would have to think that her second career, and we understand she has other interests that we've seen her do over the course of the last few years, you would have to think that those are starting to become at the forefront and that the tennis career is now starting to set as far as her career goes. I would not be surprised that if she makes an appearance and an attempt to play in the U.S. Open, and then at that point goes off into the sunset. She'll be 41 at the end of September. I'm sure a lot of these small tournaments she may not even want to play anymore. You would think that with her wanting to get to Margaret Court's 24 Grand Slam victories, it may be an afterthought at this point where her body, her desire just isn't what it was a few years back. And knowing that over the last few years, her making attempts to try to get that 24th victory, whether it was last year or really now two years ago when you think about it, 2021 when she went up against Naomi Osaka in the semifinals and lost, and how she's had opportunities to get to a final and was unable to seal the deal, knowing that sister time, I won't even say father time or even mother time, is now starting to rear her head to say, Serena, we're getting toward the end here. Do you really want to continue to train? Do you really want to continue to put all the blood, sweat, and tears that you've done so since you were a girl just to try to get that 24th victory and knowing that the competition, although may not be as stiff, but it's still pretty good if you're Iga Schwantek, even Naomi Osaka, the Angelique Kerbers of the world. And we understand these aren't, we're not talking about Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, Martina Hingis. We're not talking about that type of player. And that's no knock to the women that are on the tour right now. But still, with all the mileage that she has on her body and her just over the last few years not being the Serena Williams that we've all come to know and love, you have to wonder whether or not that she may make an attempt here at the U.S. Open to give it a last-ditch effort. And you would not be surprised that if even before that, She does bid farewell to the tennis world to say, I'm going to give this my last shot to try to see what I could do in this tournament. But after that, I've given my all. I would not be surprised that's the case. So is this the end of the line? Do I 100% know? Of course not. But would I be surprised that it is? I would say no. She's given enough to the sport. We know she's an all-time great. It's best for her to go off into the sunset as high as she possibly can. We don't want to see her stumbling around the court or her just getting beat by the 85th ranked player in the world. We don't want to see that. And give it up to Harmony Tan. She was able to put forth an epic performance against an all-time great, whether she's long in the tooth or not. But you have to wonder, Serena, is this going to be it for her? As far as the women's side, I know you've had 
Emirat Okanu, and also Garbina Muguruza out. They're the 10th and 9th ranked women in the world, respectively, that were ousted this past week. Other than that, you still have Swantech, you still have Coco Goff, you still have Angelique Kerber. The heavyweights on the women's side are still around. So let's see what happens over the course of the next few days as we get into next week, and we'll take the temperature of Wimbledon at that time. Baker Mayfield has been in the news as we turn our attention to the NFL, and everybody knows I'm not a Brown fan and certainly not a Baker Mayfield fan. But one thing that I'm in total agreement with him is that in an interview he had at one of his football camps earlier this week is that he feels like he's moved on and the Browns organization hasn't reconciled with him to say, Baker, we made a mistake or Baker, we understand that we pretty much put you out to pasture knowing that they brought in Deshaun Watson and Baker, who did not participate in the voluntary OTAs early in June, and then they had the mandatory ones, obviously just this, I guess the last couple of weeks. But for Mayfield, and I'm totally in agreement with him, how he feels that he wants to be traded, that it's time for him to move on, and he pretty much went the classy route. He didn't want to bash the organization. I'm sure he doesn't want to do that, because then the organization out of spite will probably keep him, and then Mayfield will sit out and of course he's not going to do that because then he's not going to get paid and the NFL PA will have to get involved that'll be a gigantic mess but as I mentioned a couple of months ago and check the receipts the Browns should have traded this guy knowing that they brought in Watson and even though they probably felt by being cute well we could use Baker as insurance because they know that Watson's going to be suspended at some point and probably for the whole year and even if he were to appeal and maybe even get let's say a 12-game suspension. So he could play in the last five games. Why wasn't that addressed to Baker Mayfield when these talks were happening to bring in Watson to say, we know that we owe you $18 million and you're under contract. This is what we're thinking about doing. I understand that this could be a situation where you're going to look at it as now I'm going to play second fiddle to this guy, whether he's suspended or not, that he does not have a long-term future, but they could have sat him down and explained this to him to where... Either Mayfield could have said, you know what, I'll stick around, what the hell, to maybe increase his value to where next year he could get his big payday somewhere else. Or he could have said, you know what, I want out, trade me to Carolina, trade me to Seattle, trade me to a team that is in need of a quarterback, and I'll pick up the pieces and try to resurrect my career elsewhere. Of course, the Browns didn't do that. The Browns have been as inept as you possibly can be since they re-entered the league back in 1999. And here they are in a quandary knowing that they have not been able to sit down with Mayfield. They haven't been able to, as I said, reconcile with him to the point where maybe they could save face and bring him back. But if you're Mayfield, chances are, unless he looks at the scenario and says, I'm going to prove my worth. I'm going to show the Browns that not only did I play hurt most of last year with a separated shoulder, but I am healthy, I'm going to show them and then walk out the door with his head held high to the next destination, wherever that may be, and for him to even play better. Now, is he a franchise quarterback? As we've seen, he's had glimpses, but for a guy that was number one overall back in 2018, let's face it, he is not that guy. But he's good enough to lead a team 
provided that he has the pieces and the offensive line around him and can be successful as we saw a couple of years ago, I'm not saying that Baker should renegotiate or should think that I'm going to come back and show my worth. He doesn't have to do that. The Browns are at fault here. But then you also have to think that Mayfield may have to capitulate here because if he's going to be on the roster, if he's going to be on the team, and if Watson's going to be gone for the year, and out of spite, he's going to now say, I'm going to sit out, then there's going to be an issue with him not getting paid. Because in the situation with Watson in Houston, they did pay him, and yes, they sat him out, but it's because of all the legal things that were hanging over his head, and they had no choice but to do that. But knowing that Mayfield is healthy, and he's able to play, and if he says, nah, I'm good, I'm sitting out, well, obviously, they could look at him and say, we're not going to pay you. And they have every right to do that. So that's a soap opera that's unfolding and we're going to see how that plays out as training camp, like I mentioned on Monday, is less than a month away. Ugh, I don't even want to think about that. And your backup on the, or maybe your third string if you want to look at it from a roster standpoint is Jacoby Brissett. And we all know Jacoby Brissett's not going to be the answer in Cleveland where they have high expectations, Watson or no Watson, here in this upcoming season. So that's what I got with the NFL You have the golf this weekend. No, not a PGA event. A live event in Portland, Oregon, which begins today. As we all know, 54 holes. Is anybody paying attention? Does anybody care? This guy doesn't. Maybe on Monday I'll say who your winner was, but again, this league, no matter how much these guys are getting paid, it just doesn't have any buzz. It doesn't have any history. It doesn't have any feel. So therefore, and then it's 54 holes on top of that. So if you're thinking, oh, maybe on Sunday I'll pick it up. No, the tournament will be done Saturday evening around 7 p.m. local time. So for those who are looking to see what's going to happen with Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau or Sergio Garcia, Charles Schwartzel, who won the first live event. uh, Seriously, are you really going to be wrapped up to find out whether or not one of these guys are going to be at the top of the leaderboard come Saturday or even win the tournament? Not this guy. So I just thought to throw that out there. That'll do it, people. Another episode in the books as we close out the month of June with July on the horizon. And as always, for those who, whether you're visiting for the first time, whether you've been here for a little while, whether you've been one of the diehards for quite some time or even going back to the very beginning, I appreciate your participation. I appreciate you stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I'm sure you get your... Source of sports from other podcasts, other networks, etc. But just knowing that you stopped by here, I do not take that for granted. I really don't. And thank you once again. If you haven't done so, your way to participate is to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker. I mentioned that at the very top. All I want to do is increase the visibility, people. There's so many podcasts out there. We understand that. And when it comes to sports, I cover it all. And I get it, it's not a niche podcast, it's not a fantasy football podcast, it's not an NBA podcast, baseball, NFL, whatever it is, I cover it all. And hopefully by doing that, you'll understand why by throwing a few stars or writing a review, it's going to help drastically to get the name out of this podcast that I've been doing well over four years and I plan to continue to do so for four 
and hopefully four decades beyond. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so by going to TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, or if you want to send me an email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to this endeavor. The upkeep of the website, which I'm planning to make some tweaks here in the not too distant future. The overall production, equipment, anything and everything that has to do with what I do behind this mic to produce, edit, write, and host a crystal clear. 100% through your earbuds or speakers podcast unlike any other because whether you do or do not know this is why I love to talk about people it's in my blood it's in the DNA going back to birth sports is my life I love to dissect ingest regurgitate to share my opinions thoughts analysis on anything and everything that goes on the world of the diamond ice gridiron hardwood golf course racetrack tennis court boxing ring octagon you name it from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the upcoming 4th of July weekend. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>